Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire. And you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy. Prepare to ignite. Is there a burning desire within to share your creativity with the rest of the world? Do you insist on pursuing your passion by any means necessary? Then you are on an Excelsior journey and you are not alone. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. My name is George Soroy, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for being a part of over 70 episodes that are out now, and there's no sign of stopping anytime soon. This has been uh, it's been a real privilege uh, being able to share all these great stories with you. And if you know anyone who might uh, might be interested in hearing these types of stories, please t- uh, send them over to he'sgotit.com slash podcasts. Um, if they're iPhone users, obviously, please direct them toward the Apple podcast so that way they can subscribe there. If they are not, if they're Android users, there are a whole bunch of different platforms that they can choose from. And it's all right there. He's got it.com slash podcasts. Um, I also just want to share the news that my limited series podcast uh, from Duck Till Dark outside the Marvel Studios has just been accepted into the ranks of iHeartRadio, which is really exciting. And not bad for a limited series show that only had about 36 episodes, only had one person, myself, and only had episodes like about 10 to 15 minutes long at the most. Um, With no intro, no outro, it was basically just part of the National Podcast Post-Month Challenge, and iHeartRadio decided they were going to put it in their their catalog. So thank you so much, iHeartRadio, and thank you so much for... Uh, to all of you who are taking the time to listen to both this show and From Duck Till Dark. Um, I do have some plans for From Duck Till Dark. I plan on uh, reviving that in the near future, and I'm just figuring out how exactly I want to do it, Uh, whether I want to focus on interviews, whether I want to um, uh, bring in a co-host so that uh, we can go back and forth about about the movies that are covered each episode, Whatever the case, um, I'm curious to hear your feedback. And so, um, which also kind of brings me to the February question. Um, and this is something that uh, it took a little little longer than expected for me to really come up with the proper question for this month. Uh, but since January is usually the month all about New Year's resolutions, And everyone always has these great resolutions to kind of start off their year saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to tackle this. I'm going to I'm going to look like this, et cetera, whatever the case. Um, We all have big goals in January, and then they always seem to kind of fall by the wayside as the as the year progresses. So what I want to know for February, what is the first step you are taking toward reaching your creative New Year New Year's resolution? So. Please go ahead and send in your answer, about 30 seconds or less. Um, you you would send it to george at he's got it.com. And what I want is an audio file so you can use the voice memos app on your phone to post your name, where you're from, and the first step you are taking toward achieving your goals. Um, that's what this is all about. And you're going to hear some really great stories about reaching goals from this week's guest, Dara Kalima. Dara is not only an accomplished um, an, an accomplished author herself. Uh, she has she has a lot of different a uh, lot of different poems out there. She is uh, she is a huge uh, asset to the poetry community, to the writing community in general in New York City. Uh, she is part of some wonderful organizations, uh, the New York Urban League the founder of the Black Authors Collaborative. She is part of Poetics University, and she is also the co-founder of of The Art of Breathing and Writing. And so this is, she's got a lot of great stuff to tell. I am really looking forward to hearing your feedback about this as well. If you like what you hear, please feel free to share the news with anyone you like, anyone, uh, friends, family, whatever. Anyone that you know will that will enjoy all these different kinds of stories that we have. And it's really, really exciting to see what the future is going to bring. 
I'm really excited for you to hear everything that's coming and everything that you have yet to hear from previous episodes, whatever the case. I am just really excited. I'm very, very proud of this show. I really wanted to succeed. I Anything that I can do to help my guests get the additional exposure that they deserve, anything that I can do, I really want to do it. And the big step here is listening to this podcast, subscribing, sharing, commenting, liking, whatever the case. Uh, please just... Uh, Subscriptions are really what what matter in this whole wonderful business of podcasting. So please, whatever platform you're on, please go ahead and spread the news about it. Um, we're going to take a quick break. And then we're, when we come back, we're going to be talking with Dara Kalima. And for those of you who are familiar with that name or if, if that name sounds somewhat familiar to them, please refer to the podcast from the week before, the seminar of Publish Me Too, Beyond the Writing, and also uh, go a few months back and listen to the seminar for Publish Me, The Business of Writing. Both of those seminars are on this show, on Excelsior Journeys. And coming up, we're going to be talking with one of the um, one of the MVPs of Publish Me, Dara Kalima. We'll be right back. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. If you've never been an Audible customer and want to see what they offer, just go to www.audibletrial.com slash Excelsior Journeys and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs, download a title for free, and start listening. It's that easy. Why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. And with this free 30-day trial, you'll have your pick of it all. You can hear books of all genres narrated by Jim Dale, Stephen Fry, Will Patton, Alex Hyde-White, Jeff Brick, Neil Shaw, William Demerit, and even a few by me, George Soroy. So go to www.audibletrial.com slash Excelsior Journeys and start your own 30-day journey with Audible today. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. This is George Soroy. And it's amazing how fate has a way of bringing people together. Because in 2004, this was during a time when I was working full-time, for a mergers and acquisitions company. I was just the basic office assistant there. And while I was there, around uh, early 2004, that's when I got the word that the company, the parent company, was going bankrupt. And they were giving me permission to seek employment elsewhere while still staying with them, which is great. So that way it was a nice little leapfrog from one to another. During that uh, job search, I came across a company called Hadassah, the Women's Zionist Organization of America. And that not only became my work area for about four and a half years, um, but it also allowed me to meet a lot of really great people that are still in my life today. Um, one of them, obviously, was my manager, Rick Savado, who is still around. We still keep in touch and everything. Terrific guy. Um, another one is my wonderful um, and very patient content editor, Rebecca Jaycox, who is a <laughs> former guest here. And uh, one one in particular is our guest for this week. Dara Kalima is a is a poet and an author herself. Uh, she has been writing regularly for over 30 years, and she has not only been very proficient with that, but she's also been making a point to either either be the founder, the co-founder, or a part of some really prestigious writing community organizations. And they are the New York Urban League. They are the Black Authors Collaborative, which she is the founder of, Poetics University, which she is the current vice president of, and also the co-founder of Art of Breathing and Writing. She's going to be talking all about these with us this week. And it is, uh, you also probably remember the name Dara Kalima from last week's Publish Me Too, and also the original Publish Me, The Business of Writing. Both seminars 
are here on Excelsior Journey, so you can always go back and take a listen to those. Um, but this seemed like the perfect opportunity to bring Dara on to basically do a sequel to Publish Me Too, uh, especially since I was just last week. And so we have her here this week to tell us all about all of her, her writing history, working with all these great organizations, how you can get involved, etc. So it is my pleasure to introduce to you this week's guest, Dara Kalima. Dara, how are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? Thank I you am, for having me. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. This, is, this has been great. And I also need to say, since you were the main person who brought me into Publish Me and Publish Me Too, thank you so much for thinking of me. Oh, my pleasure. There was no question. There is no question. Oh, I appreciate that. I really do. And um, now, before we jump into your full history as a writer, there is a little bit of a history that's going to be dropping very soon, isn't it? You have a memoir coming up. <laughs> I do. It's actually not very little because apparently there's a lot of pages. Okay. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. If you just had like a leaflet, then that would be that would be cause to worry. <laughs> so yeah, tell us about that. So I have a memoir coming out called Still Laughing with no G. Mm -hmm. um, no second G. The first G is there. Right. Um, <laughs> but it's about looking at life and looking at my life and moments that are kind of hilarious mm -hmm. or not so hilarious, but that I choose to find the victory in. Awesome. So it's just a series of moments that are like it goes from anything from physical injury mm -hmm. to some real stuff, some real, real stuff but still finding where I where I prevailed instead of losing. Now, you mentioned just now uh, something regarding physical injury. Was that something that is new? Is it something that uh, from from your past? What happened there? Oh, so one, injury and I have a very long history just <laughs> all across the board. Mm -hmm. Very intimate. We'll probably hang out in a couple of weeks knowing me. Um, <laughs> but, but what happened is that like when I was in St. Louis, um, after my friend kept telling me I need to write a book about my life and I was like, ah, there's nothing to write about, yada, yada, whatever. I end up falling right in front of the convention center. <sighs> and it was one, a hilarious fall, but two, I fractured my elbow. Oh no. And so, um, that experience was very enlightening, painful, hard. But I also like laughed through most of it. And then but what happened is someone said to me, oh, there goes Klutzy Dara. And it was oh. so hurtful that she said that to me that it started me writing this whole it, like that was one of the first two stories that I started that memoir with. Yeah, was and it's not the first story in the book, but it's one of it's what started me on this journey with this book in particular. That would make a, that make like, a good I preface. Talk about that. that would definitely make a good like preface or prologue or something. It is part of the preface. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it is very much part of the preface. But I, it just like I literally I fell and there was the whole the police showed up. Like there's a whole really. I, I didn't want to make a thing of it, but apparently because I guess we were next to the convention center mm -hmm. and it was a big event happening. Right. Three police officers on bicycles rolled up on me, and it was just. Oh, and then geez. I hobbled into the meeting. Didn't know I had fractured my arm. I knew I sprained my ankle again. I knew of the other cuts and scrapes, and I was just like, "Let me just." I convinced my friend to like just walk me with walk with me to the front of convention center center again, so I can take a cab to some hospital. All right. And instead, it becomes like a fire truck, an ambulance, three convention center people. Oh, <laughs> Like any anonymity was gone. <laughs> it's, almost, it's like it's like the it's like the fire department and the cops showing up to get flick off of the pole in the Christmas story. Exactly. So yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what it was. Oh man. So that the craziness of that moment, um, and all the lessons learned, and just everything tied to that was what started me with that book. So oh, wow. Physical injury. Wow. That's. <laughs> That's uh, that's definitely a good way to start and really kind of get the uh, grab your reader's attention because I'm sure that there are lots of other authors that uh, or readers that have uh, that have that s same sort of experience where it's like they're associated with that kind of that kind of fall or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. And so, like it's, it's it's like it was so upsetting that this person and this person I knew since elementary school, so it was upsetting that she said that to me, even though. I, and it was more like, I don't know why I got that title. I don't know why I ever got that title. I mm -hmm. never asked for it. 
I've had issues walking always just because I re- have really flat feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, but that wasn't even an issue when we were in school together. So I don't know where that title came from and I didn't want it. <laughs> so right. it, it sort of compelled me to start writing about all of that. Yeah. So, yeah. It's sort of like uh, it's sort of like how if uh, if you had just known for someone for like a day or something and they saw you fall a couple of times, that's one thing. But mm-hmm. for someone that you've known since grade school, it's like that's what you think of when exactly. Yeah. And it's like, and it was my birthday. It was like my birthday Aww. week, and that's the instead of like, hey, oh, I'm so sorry you feel that way. It was just like, oh, there goes Clutzy Dara, and it's like, what? <sighs> how, is, how is that the reply? Yeah. So yeah. I can see yeah. how that would uh, that would turn anyone off. I get it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so on a much happier note, <laughs> <laughs> let's go to the moment instead of instead of looking at the moment that for, that uh, that got you in the mood to write this book. Let's talk a little bit about what's going to be in it. Let's talk about what I like to call the lightning bolt moment, and that's the moment in everyone's life. When they experience something, either they read something or see something or look at someone or whatever, and then they point in that direction and say, that's what I want to be. That's the kind of life I want to live. That's the journey I want to be on. What led you to this wonderful journey we call writing? So, I mean, I've been writing always, even though I always hated reading, which Mm -hmm. is like a terrible thing for a writer to say. Um, But, you know, because I read your stuff that I'm really just a sci-fi reader. Yeah. <laughs> so yep. I'm just not reading what everyone And I else very is much reading. appreciate that too. So yeah. <laughs> but um so I, I've always been writing off and on poetry here and there. Things happened. Like when I was sixteen something happened and I found out I had a half brother and I just needed to start really cre- being creative then. Mm-hmm. But when I decided to be an author, a lot of bad stuff also happened in my life, which is also in the memoir. Mm-hmm. But um in one of those affiliations I lost like all my relationship to it and I I still stay a financial member but there was a lot of heartache I ran for an election the election did not go my way but there was a lot of other politics at play so I lost all relationship except for financially to the organization for a moment Mm -hmm. and I was devastated and then right behind at the same moment I my boyfriend and I broke up I'm telling way too much about this story (laughs) but um, we we broke up and then right behind that my grandmother died and so 2014 was a crappy year Mm -hmm. and I was completely lost and not sure what to do with myself but Mm -hmm. there's this thing called and it's not just in New York but it's sort of like if you knew about Landmark um, that used to, I guess it still exists. I don't know anything about Landmark, but there's another organization that's similar like that, which is Momentum Education. Mm-hmm. And so they sort of do that self-help, that that break you away from the things that lock you from being your most successful self programming. And so I took the basic level. I didn't make it to anything past that. But part of that level, they ask you, what do you want? Mm-hmm. And then they ask you, how do you get, how do you get that? And that process and, and it's designed that you may start superficially but you end up somewhere else that you may not so you end up somewhere in your subconscious mm-hmm. and and when that process was over i was like i want to write a book what <laughs> okay yeah and so four months later my first book was out there you go that's awesome yeah that is awesome so um so you were telling me before that you know that you have been you know like wanting to write since you were like 16 or so, correct? Yeah, yeah. Wow. I like at 16. So there's a youth theater here in New York that mm-hmm. um, I was part of. It's called the Creative Arts Team Youth Theater. Mm-hmm. And I was a founding member. So that group started right when I was 15. And I maybe like I was turning 16 or something like that. I'm getting the dates years wrong. Right. But whenever that first summer ended, I was like, well, what do I do with the rest of my summer? Now I'm in this creative mode. I got to do something. And then that's when I found out I had this half brother that I didn't know anything about Mm -hmm. that my whole family knew about, but not me because I was just so much younger. I wasn't around. Um, So I didn't know what to do with that. And so I started writing because anytime I don't know what to do with something, I grab a pen, apparently. That's great. And so that, that I started acting and writing simultaneously. And so I went to school for theater. Two of my three degrees are in the theater arts, but I, um, the one I do most in life is probably writing. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. And so, um, 
so that eventually led you to all these different organizations that you were either a founder or co-founder or a member of. Tell us a little yep. bit about those. Which was the first one that you really got involved in? So I, 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 when I was in grad school the second time, I really wanted to be Greek, mm-hmm. but I didn't meet the thresholds for a, to join the, the sorority in which of my choosing. Oh, okay. And so I was like, well, next time I'm going to be prepared when they do their, their process. So I'm going to join some stuff and get myself together. Yeah. And so I joined the New York Urban League. And that made sense because my family was part of it. And so I, um, I I wanted to party, but I also wanted to help the world. And so I was there. I became the community service co-chair, which led to me being the community service chair. Wow. Um, and I ended up in the National Fellowship Program, which is the Emerging Leaders Program for nonprofit professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really setting, it's, it's building um, the next group to be the next set of nonprofit leaders, whether it's uh, in management or whether it's uh, in, on the philanthropic end. Hmm. So that's I've been part of that organization now uh, 11 years. Wow. 11 yeah. years. That's awesome. And, and it's a national movement. It's making the world better. Mm-hmm. That's always a good thing. That's always a yeah. good thing. And was that also something that led you to working at Hadassah? That sort of urge to make the world better? So Hadassah was an accident. <laughs> as, it, really... as it was for all of us. You know, I mean, like, you know, I didn't expect that. I just saw like a really good opportunity to work, you know, for a communications department. And turns out it wound up being fantastic. So, yeah. yeah. So, like, it's actually the reverse way for mm-hmm. me in terms of getting the organization so when I joined the organization, I wanted to do fund development because I've now understood that there was this real fundraising thing mm-hmm. that I was kind of doing at work, but not really. Right. Um, and so that's, that when I joined Urban League, I joined to join their fund development team, which is hilarious. Not the, the, the department I ended up being part of, right? right? Not the team I ended up working with. But I, um, I was unemployed for depending, you know, which resume you look at and if you're looking at facts. <laughs> right. I was unemployed for six to nine months all in depending and i was just like you know this is back in the day when we actually had to use the times right and apply for jobs and use fax machines and mm-hmm. all that other stuff oh yeah and so there's this one little teeny tiny ad for like a data entry job that was um the only requirement was that you knew jewish culture <laughs> and really? i was like well i got jewish friends there you yeah. go yeah and then I didn't, and I, I was too, I had too much education. I only had the one degree at that point, but I had too much education for the data entry job, particularly, so I ended up in the donor services department. And it just happened to all coalesce properly that that's where I would end up being there. And I was there for seven and a half years. Seven and a half years. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, 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 yeah. That's great. <laughs> and a lot of, lot of really good connections, too, that, that uh, you just happened to have made. Right over there, because yeah. that was the same floor, if I'm not mistaken, that Rebecca was on, correct? Yeah, we were in the same department. Yep, yep. And wow, <laughs> it really is just amazing how, how those sort of things really kind of fall into place, you know? Yeah, because I mean, let's think about it. The reason why you and I ended up getting to know each other is because you would come up to the floor and hang out with Rebecca. Yep. And so Rebecca and I were friends, and mm-hmm. we would go out to the park and take pictures together and do really <laughs> ridiculous stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, but that was that was why we all connected was because of that. Yep. Yeah, that's so cool. That's so cool. <laughs> um, so, one of the things that uh, that really stuck out for me was uh, was another company that you're now the vice president of, Poetics University. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. How'd you get involved there? Oh, some crazy guy had some crazy plans that seemed too crazy for him to do alone. <laughs> that's really. <laughs> That's really how it all started. So apparently... That sounds like the start and, of a rock band, too. <laughs> you know, seriously. So, you know, if, if you've heard the other... If you've heard the published means... So Tony Two Eyes, Tony mm-hmm. Langhorn, depending which name he's using right. for different things. He's not only the founder of um, Two Eye Publishing. He also... He used to be a um, poet and event curator here in New York. Oh. And then everything sort of started closing down. The 19, he came up with the idea of a doing a 30 and 30 just so that he could write more, which is a 30 poems in 30 days that's usually done in April. That's great. And so 
he started some crazy idea in 19 mm-hmm. and then I was it. And so he decided for 20, he would do these three workshops and for, and I decided because I'm never good at a 30 and 30 in April, I have successfully done 30 and thirties multiple times. Never in April. Like uh, April, for some reason, I'm like no. Right, right there with, right there with you with National Novel Writing Month because they, for <laughs> some stupid reason, Chris Beatty decides he wants to set that up in November, where November is you throw in my wedding anniversary and my wife's birthday and Thanksgiving and now my daughter's birthday. So that's four things that I got to be prepared for in November. And who the hell am I to say, I'm going to write a book on top of all this. So, exactly. So, so, you understand. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, even even when I only had, you know, like wedding anniversary, wife's birthday, Thanksgiving, I knew that when I first heard about National Novel Writing Month, there was no way I could do November. Yeah. But I could do June. And so I did yeah. June 2008, and that was the first draft of Excelsior, so which got us all on this journey to where we are right here. You know, with episode, I think we're at 74 right now of oh, Excelsior wow, Journeys. Awesome. So yeah, this is I owe a lot to National Novel Writing Month, and uh, especially it's to its flexibility in terms of when they <laughs> when you can do it. So, exactly, like I do. I have done. I usually do a thirty and thirty around my birthday, which is July. I'll do it in the end of the year. I've done fifty and fifty. Like I can do it, but for some reason, April is just not the month that my brain is like, yes, let's write poems. Right. And so he decided to do these three classes, um, and I was like, well, I'll just take the one. I didn't even know about the other two. I knew about the first one. My friend convinced me to do the first one, and I was like, I can do that because that'll get me closer to getting to my 30 and 30 for April. Yeah. So everything is shut down in New York. This is perfect timing. Let's just go for it. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of the class, he was I, I had offered to help because, um, you know, people have terrible bios. Right. And because of my theater background, I've been editing bios for a very long time. And so I was like, I'll help you guys with your bios. Just let me know. And this is what you need to do. Yada, yada, whatever. And so all of that really made him notice me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm literally in bed Sunday morning in pajamas. <laughs> my head is still wrapped. Mm-hmm. And I get a message. Hey, do you want to come help me with my with the school? Um, I will wait for you to I, wait, I will wait for you to log into Zoom right now. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure or anything. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm like. Throw one thing off, put the other thing on. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, hey, guys. Right. <laughs> and then that's been the story since. So he, there's now, it went from him as his brainchild to now five people who are in leadership. And we're going to probably expand that in the next two months mm-hmm. um, to seven. But there's currently five. And, I, and when I say we're growing big, we've done 20 classes already. Yeah. So we've done 20 classes since it started. We have are in 19 different countries, um, 18 different states here, um, and then there was something else. Oh, and our, even our team is in. So three of us are in this country. One is in Dubai, and one is in UK. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. That is so cool. That is so cool. It's so- been exciting. I mean, we even said that I did the math yesterday and this week, mm-hmm. and if everyone did, if everyone who was registered did a poem mm-hmm. and not including the extra extra stuff we give them we would have generate we should have in theory generated over 6400 poems since we started this school wow yeah. wow have you thought about putting like an anthology or anything together oh we do we do we are a little delayed because other things have happened and tony is wonderful but he's like popcorn he makes all these ideas and i have to run around behind him with a bucket <laughs> <laughs> We're a little bit bit delayed, but we have three that are already out. um, That is the best analogy I've heard in so long that I love that. (laughs) Thank you. It's so true. (laughs) Um, But, like, we have three anthologies out right now. Today we actually did a celebration for one of them that just dropped. And then we have, what is that, eight more in the works. So we just have to find the time to get them done but those are the eight that we've promised that we will do mm-hmm. we will change our structure after this because it is a lot of work yeah. um and our team is just not big enough but we are committed to those eight that's so cool that is so cool that's great that you're do- that that's that that's happening and uh yeah. now one big thing like when it comes to uh when it comes to poetry and it's one thing that uh, that that i 
will always have just like a tremendous amount of respect for anyone who goes that route in terms of in terms of getting their thoughts down in a poetic in a poetic fashion. But then to stand up in front of a crowd and perform it because you're not just you're not just reading it. It's not just mm-hmm. like a, it's not like a, an open mic where you just like read like a section of your book or anything. You are getting up there and you are performing it. It is theatrical. Um, mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about the first time you did that. Oh, my goodness. The first time I did that. That's, I mean, I don't know when the first time was. <laughs> really? <laughs> it was a long time ago. I mean, wow. Uh so I'll tell you the first time I performed at the New Yorkian. That would be the best. There you go. Um, so it's not the first time I performed really. I thought I was a better writer than I was. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> New Yorkian is a slam house here in New York. It is in national slam competitions. Um, it is the pinnacle of poetry for for slamming or spoken word. Not all poetry needs to be performed, but, you know, Um so I went to, but but thankfully, because I'm not ridiculous and crazy, right? I, I they had an open mic, they, so they do the slam on like Friday night, I think, or Saturday night. I don't know, one of those two nights. And that event will be packed, standing room only, next to each other. Mm-hmm. But what they used to do after that is also have a more private open mic that mm-hmm. was not competitive. Oh, okay. And so I would stay. I would come for the whole slam. When the slam was over, the whole place would empty out, thank God. And there would be, like, the last, like, 20 people who kind of want to say they performed at New Yorkian but never <laughs> at mm-hmm. the slam. Yeah. And so that's when I opened mic. So that was my first open mic. And it was terrifying. But even when I did that one poem, mm-hmm. I wasn't, I was not a performer yet on that level or anything. The writing wasn't there. Right. And I was just like, oh, this is not for me. <laughs> and I just <laughs> I literally stopped. I wrote one poem about the experience of performing, which was cool, but um, it was not. I, it took a long time for me to get there. I started performing at my friend, who actually ended up working at Hadassah for a little while, too. No kidding. Um, he, um, he started doing open mic separately, and I would go to his event, and that's when I really started practicing. Yeah. But then I also sustained my first real injury. My first ankle sprain mm-hmm. was at that venue. And so that stopped that stopped me. And then in 15, when my first book dropped, I was like, oh, I'm a poet. And people don't want to buy poetry. Mm-hmm. And the only way that people know that I exist is if I actually start performing. Mm-hmm. Crap. And yep. so I got back into it and it's, I've not stopped. So for the last, what, almost six years? I've been going nonstop with like, just got to keep performing, got to get better, yeah. got to study the people. And, but that first one, I was very happy that the New Yorker was pretty empty when I did that. <laughs> Cause I probably would have been devastated to like get a terrible score. Cause I would have been too nervous. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but yeah. So what's, so what's that sort of experience? Cause it's very much kind of like how uh standup comedy is where you have to like, like you said, you have to read the room and you have to, Basically, like you're getting up there and you have to have the perform the confidence and everything to perform your own material. And it's like I said, it's not just like reading it out of a book or anything. You have to bring that extra element to it, that entertainment factor. Um, yeah. What have you learned so far? Like, what's that experience overall like? So I learned if I'm not peeing 20 times before that I'm not nervous enough. <laughs> <laughs> because I definitely am like, I'm always like, oh, no, I got to go. Now I got to go to the bathroom. Give me five seconds. Before. <laughs> you know? um, I learned, like, you have, and I think it's, everyone has a different style. There's definitely different types of performers. Right. And the more you're in this game, the more you can hear what type of performer they are. Mm-hmm. Like, if they come from a slam background, if they come from a literary background, if they come from a theater, theatrical background, mm-hmm. you hear the difference in how they deliver. And so I'm a theater person, so I study my own work. Mm-hmm. Even though I wrote it, I still sit there and go, well, what can happen in this moment? What's the nuance here? What's yeah. happening over here? So I have to actually sit down and study the writing. Mm-hmm. I'm not great at memorization yet. I was starting to do that before everything closed down. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I wrote too much and there's too many words and I can't put those all in my head yet. Right. Um, but it's about like finding those moments in the poem, whether you, even if you're holding it, finding those nuances um and oh you do have to gauge the crowd because if you have if you were planning on getting on a set and doing erotic poetry and there's five-year-olds in the room clearly this is not the poem you need to do (laughs) (laughs) so you need to change your whole set really really fast yeah if you 
and it also depends on your comfort level, right? Like mm-hmm. my stuff is very Black Lives Matter focused, yeah. and so there's times where I'm I have to gauge the room. Like, is this a group that's going to be okay with it or not? Right. Or do I have which poem can I switch out? Or does someone else read a poem that was just like mine a moment ago? Mm. Well, then that's not the poem I can do. So I usually come in with a poem or two more than I'm actually going to perform, mm-hmm. and then I will change out um, in the process. But like, you also can't know what your room is because there's one. One of my favorite moments in performing was uh, in 18. I went on a trip to Scotland and Wales and England. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to do an open mic in England, and I couldn't find one because the resources I was being pointed to were all music, and they weren't actually poetry. Apparently, now I know London has an amazing poetry scene. I just didn't know how to find it before. Oh, man. Now I know where it is yeah. or some of the people in it. So so there was that. And so I was like, all right, well, I'm going to have to do it in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And there was this one open mic that opened up my last day in Scotland. <laughs> and I was like, I want to get an international thing. And so, like, even the other open mics were happening, but they were happening in the opposite city from the time that I was there. Mm-hmm. So I would leave Glasgow, and they would be doing it in Edinburgh. And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> Why are we not doing <laughs> So either way, I get to this place, and I don't really know anything about Scotland or England or any of that stuff. I'm, I'm American. I'm really American. Right. When it comes to that stuff. <laughs> and so the whole room is completely white, except for me. Right. And my two friends who came with me who are Chinese. Oh, man. And when I finished reading the stuff, and they're, like, really eating up every word, and he makes me read more poems than I was planning on reading. Oh, wow. And this is right before my last book came out, which is Two X Chromosomes with Extra Side of Melanin. Mm-hmm. So that book is, one, some of my better writing, because you get better as you do the craft, right? But it was also very pointed, because I was making up for things that I didn't do think I did with my first book. Ah. And so I'm very much like... This is what it means to be a black woman. This is this is America sucks, you know, like not in a bad way, but it's like right. this is what's happening. And and so my friends are in the back, so they can't see anyone else in the room. And it's only like fifteen of us in the room, maybe. Yeah. It's a art center in a suburb of Edinburgh, Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my friends, when I sit down, they're like, "Oh my God, Dar, how are their faces? Because this room was really white, and you were really black." <laughs> 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 not just black really black <laughs> exactly but what it turned like they loved it and i'm still friends with like four of those people that i met that's fabulous <laughs> that's fabulous i love it it's so, amazing yeah, you... it's it's the magic of poetry it can you know like kind of it can reach the you know the right people as long as it's you know as long as they're open to receiving it exactly yeah exactly Wow, you just got to do your best part, and yeah. they'll like it or they hate it. But they, but it's and this is my thing. Generally speaking, I usually perform in front of mixed audiences, right? Um, but I'm usually just like, for, if for nothing else, for five minutes, for three minutes, for mm-hmm. however long my set is, you have to just consider my perspective. Yeah, yeah. And then you can throw it out if you don't want to hear it. Right. But for that little bit of time, I'm going to tell you my life. Yeah. And that's just where we are. And, you know, like your life as a black woman, as a black author, you know, this is your experience and it's very unique to what a lot of other people are experiencing with their own lives. So it's great exactly. you know, to have that sort of perspective and just bring it out there and be able to reach people in a way that's not um, that's not a way of like talking at people, but talking to them. You know, like and mm-hmm. it's a great way to just kind of to almost like disarm people in a way. Yeah. You know, they go in like not expecting that. And all of a sudden it was just like, oh, and and as long as they're not expecting it and they can open their mind to it, then it's all of a sudden it's amazing just what that experience can do. And it's, I love that you said that because one of my favorite poems that I wrote last year mm-hmm. was about I led a class at Poetics U about justice. So it was writing justice poems and everyone right. got to choose their subject of choice. And I told them one of their bonus prompts were write a poem that about something mundane and then explain why it's, uh, it's uh, not something that someone else who's a victim can't do anymore mm-hmm. or why it's grotesque for them. And so I just start this beautiful scene. You're sitting there in your apartment. You have ceiling, you have Florida wall, um, Florida ceiling windows. You're eating your lox bagel. You're having their best cup of coffee. Everything's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And like, this is like so idyllic. And then I say, you swallow your piece of bagel which is something that George Floyd can never do again. Oh. Exactly. Ooh. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So. Yeah. Poetry's fun. 
Yeah. <laughs> and and it's I, yeah, I mean like it's that that's that's the best kind of writing. Kind of like to reach out to people and give them like a brand new kind of perspective on things. And mm-hmm. yeah. Like it's it's one of those things where just like as soon as you grab it, it was just like, wow, you're right. And then yeah, definitely hits yeah. you. Definitely hits you in a big way. And um so is so this sort of you know, this sort of experience of being or you know, the, of being a writer and wanting to kind of reach out and basically just kind of um prepare the next generation of writers is that what brought out uh black authors collaborative yeah yeah so when i when i when i did that whole what do i what do i want to do and how can i do it Mm -hmm. i reached out to a friend of mine who also wrote a book and his book is amazing in many ways Mm -hmm. and a great lesson on what not to do in other ways (laughs) um but like he was the one person in my immediate group of people that i could think of that i was like I, you wrote a book, I want to know how you did it so that I can follow how you did it. Right. And so he sat down with me and then told me everything and dealt with a lot of text messages from me that were probably really annoying. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> I start. I took that conversation onto Twitter to try to, because I'm terrible at Twitter, but I tried to like start a conversation amongst a couple of us just so that we could have like this ongoing dialogue around writing so that we all sort of become our own experts. Right. And then I got tiring because I, I suck at Twitter. So <laughs> <laughs> it led to a Facebook group where now we have like 300 something people mm-hmm. and some people just promote and that's not what I really intended for the group to be, but it was the goal and it's still, but people come and go, I need an editor. So mm-hmm. immediately I throw three different names at them because those are the three people who are in the group. Right. Right. Or someone says, I need a, I, I'm writing a children's book. So then all of a sudden I throw a bunch of other people and I tag them in who have written the children's book so that we create a space in which we're sharing resources because one, just generally speaking, a, Forget your race, but generally speaking, people don't know. Like everyone is making books, but they're all doing it individually. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean that's which which makes sense because writing in it, in and of itself, it's a lonely, it's a lonely profession. You know, like it really it, is. It, like it's something that, but the any chance to kind of bring more people in to be collaborators or um, beta readers it, or whatever. You know exactly. There's so many resources, right? And like we all keep, we all keep reinventing the same wheel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but but you did it, and you did it, and you know something. At least tell me what you know. Yeah. So that I don't have to make the same mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know. And so that's sort of where that idea started. And so I think we're like four years old now mm-hmm. um, of a group, and and we're gonna have an event in a couple of weeks, um, just to sort of like get the group to have a s- little bit more synergy because. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of people across the world there, too, um, but it is for black people because we don't have the same network structure, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. And so trying to get us to go just to partially give each other similar support or if it's just cheer each other on. Yeah. You know, cheer each other on sometimes is all you need. Or mm-hmm. sometimes when something bad happens in public affairs, I'm just like, hey, how are you guys holding up? Yeah. Because there needs to be that space as well. Um, so we just, but like, because I get a lot of one-on-one conversations and a lot of people try to do the individual consultation, which I'm happy to do, mm-hmm. it also gets tiring and I'm really busy. Yeah. So that's sort of where Publish Me came from because I was like, I'm, I can't meet with everybody. Right. <laughs> I just can't. And then Tony gets the questions too. And because it, we took it as a business venture and a business focus, we were able to bring in the New York Urban League Young Professionals because their whole thing is career development. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things. It's community support and development and, and that. But for the members, it's also career development, professional development stuff. And so yeah. we, we pitched it to them in that way so that if there are people who want to be writers, because I know a bunch of YPs, which is what we call each other for mm-hmm. short. Yeah. I know a bunch of YPs who are who end up writing. Mm-hmm. But we all do it in a silo. That person who was my book mentor was from a, was a YP. Yeah. And so I know about four or five people just from my chapter alone who have written books. Yeah. But we're not all going, how did you do it? Mm-hmm. Well, and, so, and at the same time, it's just like, and at the same time, yeah, just it's not even, it's not only just collaboration. But, you know, like when we have, you know, like as writers, we have our issues. We have mm-hmm. our writer's blocks. We have, you know, like moments where, we are just like where the inspiration is left, where we have uh, we have 
moments that we can't get past and everything. And we need other writers to be able to mm -hmm. just say, like, I know exactly what you're talking about, because you can only say so much to a significant other before they're just like, all right, move on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you got to have then, someone there who knows what you're talking about and is, so, and is so dialed into the same thing. It's so true, because so somebody contacted me after the last published me mm -hmm. and we just met this week. And in having the conversation, he's telling me all the things he wants to do. He has all these like plans for the book he's going to do. Mm -hmm. And he has a good writing practice, which a lot of people don't have. Yeah. And I was like, that's great. You have a great start, but you're trying to do too much. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So I hear what you're doing. I can tell you why you haven't finished your story is because you're doing too much. Yeah. So here, narrow it here. Mm -hmm. But like he would have never gotten that. He was told by somebody else, sit down and say, step away from it and come back. But he was never given the tool as to how to actually cut into what he's trying to accomplish. Right. But only us who have done it can go, yes, I know that problem. Mm -hmm. and, oh, yeah. And I mean, now I even have one of my one of my students who wrote a poem that he is like winning champions like championships with. Granted, he is better than me, always has been. I'm now in his class. But even still, when we weren't not when I wasn't his student, I was I shared a poem with him. He goes, this is great. But remember that tool you gave me? Mm -hmm. I'm going to need you to use it on this poem now. Wow. <laughs> I like, I hate you for doing that, but you're right. <laughs> you that know? is like, great. Iron sharpens iron. Yeah. You need to have somebody else there to help you push and keep going. That is fabulous. That I, I love that. I love that, that you've taken that initiative to really just kind of create this, this wonderful safe haven. You know, for mm -hmm. for people that you know that so that need it, that really that really do need it, and they may not realize how much they need it. So exactly the fact that you're that uh, that you're you're not only doing that, but you're also arming them in a way to kind of like to have them be prepared for different things that happen. It's just like if you like what you just said, you find you come across someone who is trying to do so many things at once, and. I always see I always look at that as um, whenever someone is working on, like, say, like their first draft of their book mm -hmm. and um, they're starting to think about what their launch party is going to be like or you know, like what their book cover <laughs> and everything is going to look like. I was just, I, I always have to tell them, stop, because right now what you're doing is you're building the foundation. You're creating the basement. That's what you're doing. So stop thinking about what color drapes you're going to put on the windows. They don't <laughs> exist yet. So. <laughs> So, it's so true. you gotta, you gotta work in some form of a structure for that. You know, like that rewriting, like that's what's going to come. That's what's going to make the foundation an actual house that people can mm -hmm. live in. Um, I was, I was, I consider myself very, you know, like uh, fortunate that for um, six years, you know, like my wife and I were living in our a house that we had built and we were able to stop by there quite a bit. And because of that, I was able to get a picture of the house as the foundation was being built, as the basement was being poured. Mm. And so I got that picture and it's blown up and it's brought with me whenever I do any sort of talks about National Novel Writing Month, about writing in general. And and I show that. And it's just like, look, this is this this batch of 190 pages. This was the first draft of Excelsior, but it's not a book. Mm -hmm. And and I said, like, you know, you know, you want to know what it's like. And then I hold up the picture. It's like, that's what it is right now. <laughs> you know, like this was not ready yet. And I didn't even realize just how unready it was until until the right people saw it. And that's then helped me basically shape it into the house that it now is. And I had to go through quite a few renovations. But <laughs> but it's finally <laughs> but it's finally there. <laughs> But it's so important. I think people want to they they want to write the next great American novel mm -hmm. and have no clue. Like, and I'm I keep telling people the easy part is the writing. Yeah, the editing. Like, the, so mm -hmm. my memoir. I wrote most of my memoir by the end of 2018. Oh wow! And then I got to study, but I also was releasing two X chromosomes, so I stopped that book to let two X chromosomes go because I wanted to finish the triptych that is my first three books of poetry. Mm -hmm. um, so I had to put it to the side. And then I ended up thankfully being able to go study with Natalie Goldberg. I don't know if you know who she is. But the name sounds really familiar. 
She's the one who her biggest, most known book is Writing Down the Bones. Okay. But she's written 15 others. Wow. Um, so I got to study with her last summer. Mm-hmm. And as I was studying with her, and it's just the writing practice is a form of meditation. So my art of breathing and writing is an extension of that in some ways, slightly different, but still similar in that vein. And so we, um, we just wrote and then we edited it and then we, I mean, we didn't even edit. We just wrote, was dump everything on the page, just dump everything on the page. Yep. But the things exercise she gave us was like, look at something, write about that something for 10 minutes. So hmm. when you're writing about that something from 10 minutes, it goes from just being a thing to being the specs on it, the things around it, yeah. what can it do on the inside. And that, and that, just that one exercise, when I came back to my stories, I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm not describing anything. Yeah. I'm telling you everything, but I didn't show you a daggone thing. Nice. But now let me add just a little bit here and there mm-hmm. so that now you feel my anxiety in this moment or you laugh with me in this moment or you may even be angry in this moment, right? But yeah. now let me show you it in a way that I'm not just telling you. Mm-hmm. But like, so I've been editing this book. We're in 2021. It's not yep. going to drop for maybe three, four more weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but still going. 18, yep. <laughs> so now this has mostly been the editing process. <laughs> this was not the writing process. Yeah, yeah. Th- that's, <laughs> that's, what it was. that's what it was for Excelsior. You know, like it went through two years of, of, of rewrites. And even that, you know, like it wound up being far less than what it is now. Like it, it, it had to go through the self-published version and then the second edition when it got picked up by the publisher here in St. Louis. And then it gets picked up by Loris where, you know, Rebecca was working and still is. And she was able to take a sledgehammer to it still and mm. made me realize like, okay, I got more work to do. And so I had to put Ever Upward down, focused on Excelsior for about two months and fixed all of the issues. And it felt great being able to do that because now it's just like, okay, this is exactly the way I want it. I am good. I am walking away from this one now. <laughs> At some point, you have to do that. Like I remember, um, um, I remember the uh, the story that William Friedkin uh, talked about when um, he said that there was uh, this one uh, expressionist painting. I think his name was uh, Bonard, and he went to the Louvre and saw his painting, and then ducked under. And started messing with it. And so, and so the guard came over and just like, what are you doing? And they said, like, this is my painting. This is something that I realized is fit. And the guard was just like, it's in the Louvre. Walk away. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's true. We do also have to know. I mean, what I tell people, even when we do the poetics books or whatever, my goal is to make it as good as possible, but yeah. we have to we have to acknowledge that a Simon and Schuster's book, a Random House book, mm-hmm. a whomever book still has typos. Yep. So as great as we're going to be, it's going to happen. Yeah. And we can over edit, and oftentimes when you over edit, you start adding typos. Yep. So there's yep. also that danger. Mm-hmm. So, you just have to like, you do have to, you work, 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 and then you let it go and you let it be. I just worked on a book that I helped edit for, um, I won't even say who, but for a prominent poet here in New York, we just released a pretty big anthology. Mm-hmm. And we edited, we gave so many notes, so many notes, so <laughs> many notes, so many notes. Yeah. And I mean, there's a team of like 20 editors on this book. Mm-hmm. And I got my copy yesterday and I looked at it and I looked at my section. I was like, typo, typo. It's still deflating when you see the it. But at the same, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, the book is done. Yep. I don't have to edit it anymore. The typos are small. It's the things that you notice when you have been so granular into put book publishing and printing. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't like, it wasn't a big thing. It was like literally just an italics thing. But I, oh, I guess I should say the name of it maybe. It's 2020, The Year That Changed Us mm-hmm. by Kevin Powell's Workshop. Okay. And I only say that because what he did, what was brilliant is that Tim Weiss is in the book. Gloria Steinem is in the book. Oh, wow. V, the former artist known as Eve Insler is in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so all these really big names are in the book and nice. little people like me. So <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, but... <laughs> you know, that's that, that's what that's the way that uh, that a lot of um, that's a, that's a way like a lot of other authors really kind of get themselves on those USA Today lists is by yes. being a part of an anthology. They'll have a couple of bigger names to kind of carry the, you know, carry it. But at the same time, if they are, if, if you are in that book, that means that you, your quality kind of may not, you know, like be at the very level, but at least is comparable. So, 
yeah. that right there is is a is a big validation right there. And then and then being able to be being able to like, you know, go out knowing that uh, someone who buys this book obviously bought it for them, but they're going to keep on looking and see what else is in there and they're going to find yours. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's, it is, a, it, and even with the little typo that I saw, I didn't go through the book scouring for them. Right. I just wanted to see what it did. <laughs> I knew where we were before this book release. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just like, the book is done. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you're lucky like you who can go back and fix. The book is done, mm-hmm. and we're good, and yeah. it exists. And you yeah. have to be okay with that, because again, Random House and... Simon and Schuster and all those other places yep. are going to have typos too. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So it sounds like what you know, like what you're doing is is along the lines of the company that you co-founded, the art of breathing and writing. So <laughs> yeah. tell us a little bit about that. What because obviously, like, I mean, every author, as we've been talking about, goes through those experiences where you just have to step back and breathe. So, mm-hmm. so is that was that what prompted this? <laughs> so what happened is, um, like I, I just mentioned, Natalie Goldberg. Natalie Goldberg is a Buddhist practitioner, mm-hmm. and she does the. She has a whole workshop series. Her whole point of writing down their bones, everything is about writing as a form of meditation. Mm-hmm. And so it is not about writing good stuff. It's about the practice of writing and getting all those things out of your head. Right. And you can use it to tweak your writing. You can use it to practice skills. So maybe your topic for that one write, that 10-minute write, that 20-minute write or whatever is about detailing. So I'm going to look at this one thing for 20 minutes and write about it until ad, ad, ad nauseum, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like this is what we're doing. Oh, yeah. But other times, it's really part of just getting it out. No filter, no editing. Your pen keeps going. That's her practice. And so I'm not Buddhist. And this is not at all to knock Buddhism or anything. But because I'm not, I don't feel particularly comfortable leading a Buddhist practice. Right. Thankfully, one of my best friends, who's also not Buddhist, but she is a breathwork practitioner. So they focus on the art of breathing and like you can't go wrong with breathing because that's something you do every day and every moment, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And but like there's ways to breathe that change how your nervous system responds. There's ways to breathe to like bring you into a more calm place or to get you more energized. There's all these different breathing exercises that exist that don't have the same spiritual dogma around it. Yeah. And so when I came back from Natalie's retreat and as everything went crazy with COVID nineteen, mm-hmm. we were like, Well, we need we need it we need some meditation. We need a break. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yep. We need something different. And so she and I started the art of breathing and writing. So we took a little bit of a break. We're gonna try to come back by March, I believe. Um, but we it's a we do breathing practice through breathwork. So she'll lead that portion of it. Right. Where she leads us through a bunch of breathwork exercises and then I lead us through a bunch of writing exercises. That's great. And it has been really like, and there's days that I get to it. And I'm like, I don't want to do it. There's, <laughs> Why are we doing this again? Right. I hate being busy. And then by the end of the day, by the end of the process, and we don't, at least for the first incarnation of it, we were doing hour and a half. Yeah. Um, but by the time I'm done, I'm like, this is the best day in the world. Yeah. I there you energy. go. There you it's go. Wonderful. And it's all about like, and when people, whenever I counsel with people about how to write, I offer them this process, even if it's not the breathing part. Right. Yeah. But I offer them to sit down and just write because mm-hmm. that's what the first book, first draft is anyway. It is you dropping all the words there. And then when that's there, then you can go back and remove the words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're terrible. Yeah. You can refine the idea, but you you just have to put it on a page. And so many of us get stuck editing before we and like this. Most times when I talk to people, I ask them, well, what, tell me about your process. I ask them this on purpose right. to see if they're editing while they're writing, because if you're editing while you're writing, you're never going to finish your book. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I always am like, what, 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 tell me about your process. Let me, oh no, see, no, you need to stop editing. Yeah. Just write. You got to give Just yourself write. permission to write crap. That's, you know, that once you do that, then you have, you have that freedom to and just to my- get it out there. Most of my writing practice, I have notebooks of garbage. Yeah. But every now and then I have this really dope poem that was written in there, or I have this really great phrase that I can use later. Mm-hmm. But most of it's garbage, but it has to get out because in that way I can write the next thing. Right. It's like what and the uh, next thing may be what I need, you it's know? It's like Sorry. what uh, Stephen King said, right? With the door closed, rewrite with the door open. Mm-hmm. You know? It makes it, I mean, all of that. And like, 
and like even yeah it's it's important just to like get it all out it mm-hmm. doesn't matter because then later you have just work you can use and i mean during studying with natalie I, there was one prompt we got, everything you know about lies, mm-hmm. are liars. Oh, wow. And I was like, I don't know what to write about liars. You know, my sister gave me some really dope advice when I was a kid about, like, not dating bad men who, like, not the rules around dating men who lie. Mm-hmm. And she gave me this advice, and I said, but she didn't tell me what to do with friends. Mm-hmm. And then that whole story about 2014 pops up there. And nice. I didn't know it was going to happen. I was just doing the 10-minute right. Mm-hmm. But when the 10 minute write was over and when the session was over, you best believe I went back to my room and kept writing the story. There you go. Nice. Nice. I love it. So you don't know where it comes, but you just got to dump it all out there. Yeah. So how do people get involved with these organizations? Because you got some great ones here. You got the New York Urban League. You have the Black Authors Collaborative. You have Poetics University. And now you have Art of Breathing and Writing. Are they all different websites? Is there all like one spot where people can find it all? The, the best way is to sort of find me to find those things. But New York Urban League or any Urban League, because Urban League is a national organization, is the oldest direct services civil rights organization. Mm-hmm. The only older O's is the only older. <laughs> I can't get the right words anymore. <laughs> the only older civil rights organization is NAACP, but they do more. Um, they don't do the direct services part that to the extent that New York, the National Urban League does. Right. So you can go to NYU, NUL. Dot org, mm-hmm. And that will get you to everything National Urban League. It'll get you to your local chapter. It'll get you to the affiliate organizations that are tied to them as well. Excellent. So NUL.org, that's where you go for all of that. Um, for the Poetics University, you can go like it's, it's, you can go to you can find us on Instagram is actually mostly where we live right now. We mm-hmm. do have a website, but Instagram is where it's the best to find us. Yeah. And that is Poetics with an X. So it's not I-C-S. It's P-O-E-T-I-X. Nice. U, and that'll take you to our website. That'll take you to everything that involves us. Mm-hmm. It'll take you even to our link tree that'll get you there. Um, you can find me at Dara. Oh, I don't even know what my names are. This is crazy. <laughs> I was like, no, that's not it. That's not it. So my website is DaraKalima.com, which is D-A-R-A-K-A-L-I-M-A.com. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that'll take you to everything else. So you'll see the art of breathing, or you can just contact me through that website, and I can tell you everything else and where the other things are. Fabulous. Fabulous. And uh, what what would you say for like anyone who is who is ready to have their own lightning bolt moment and is ready to point at the at at someone like you and say that is what i want to that is what i want to be that is the journey i want to go on what would you say is the first step that they would have to take oh that's such a great question i had like five answers <laughs> Once it wasn't five but i had two right um one was just start writing yeah. because that's the most important part, right? Yep. But the, the I think even before the start writing, believe in yourself. Yeah. Because every writer is going to hit that point that I'm the worst writer. And it, especially if you're writing a book, mm-hmm. it will happen with every chapter. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> you're like, why do anyone? I, I, my book is just is 450 pages. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why does anyone want to read this? Right. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> but I'm also like, oh, because I'm a dope person. And I've had great stories to tell. Mm-hmm. But like other times, I'm just like, oh, my gosh, this is the worst writing ever. And it's not because it is, but that's what we go through. Right. So you have to believe that you are worthy of being heard, read, and, and your story is important. Because what I tell people all the time is even if your work is not for me. Yeah. There's a lot of writers who I don't particularly love their writing. I don't love their style. I don't think they may be at my level or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of them. But that doesn't matter because you know what? Someone needs them. Yeah. And so I saw you have an audience. Someone needs your writing. It may not be me. It may not be you. But so-and-so over there, they need it. So whomever it is, someone there needs it. So you need to know that you have something worth giving. Mm -hmm. You have to be very confident in that because you will have people who don't want to publish your book. You will have people who think it needs to be really revised. You may have your own thoughts and demons in your own head saying, uh, so you have to, at the very heart of it, know, even no matter what everyone else says, that this is your path, that you are important and worthy enough to have this path. And then on any day that you're shaken and you're not sure, mm-hmm. you need to go back to that. 
Excellent. Thank you so much, Dara, for being a part of this show and for bringing me into Publish Me and Publish Me Too. Looking forward to collaborating with you on many other projects in the future. And before we go ahead and wrap it up, here is the first submission that I've gotten for this month's question. Remember, if you would like to be a part of this show, if you'd like to have your voice heard on a podcast, please go ahead and put in your name, where you're from, and the answer to the monthly question into your voice memos app on your phone and send it over to george at he's got it.com. Again, the February question is, what is the first step you are taking to achieve your creative goal? Here's what we got so far for this week. This is John Kevin Allen from outside of St. Louis, Missouri. My New Year's resolution was to break out of my introversion and get more involved with the writing community. I followed through with that by asking a number of writers to be critique partners with me. The camaraderie is wonderful and the feedback is stunningly helpful. I've grown a lot as a result. Thanks. Can't think of a better way to close this out because... Uh, what Dara said is absolutely true because you do have to, as your first step, you do have to believe in yourself that you are worthy to travel that path that you're ready to go down. You can't just, and you have to do it for you. You can't just say, I'm doing it because this person's doing it, or I'm doing it because uh, that will get me the most amount of money or, or whatever. Like I'm doing it because my parents want me to. You have to be the one to make those steps because all you have is you, you know, at the mm -hmm. end of this, all you have is you, you have to make those, make those steps. You have to go forward. And by doing that, you can't go anywhere unless you are believing in yourself that that is the right path for you. Um, I am so thrilled that Dara was able to say that. And I am so thrilled that she has brought to our attention so many great organizations that are doing so much for all of you. So I really, really hope all of you take take note of all of them. I hope that you are getting nothing but success from all of this, uh, whether it's personal, whether it's financial, whether it's emotional, anything, just as long as it feels worthy to you, get it out there. So for mm -hmm. Dara Kalima, this is George Soroy saying to all of you, ever upward, and I will see you next week. <laughs>